Welcome back to The Real Voices of the Game. I'm Dave D'Agostino, joined here today by our host and star of this show, Jim Rooney. This is Toe the Rubber, Youth Development for All, episode 462 on our network here. 463, I'm sorry, Jim, I shorted us one. 463 in less than two years. Before we get to Jim and introduce our two guests today, one is a repeat guest, uh, and everybody will remember his name and his voice. I want to get to our sponsors and just thank a few people. 68,000 subscribers now, 74 countries. We appreciate your support. Want to let you know that we've got a special partner with us. Millions handle all of our marketing now. If you go to the Millions link in the show notes, you can go to the Book Me, uh, Book Me link and it'll take you to our advertising or you can hire our, our host to do speaking engagements. Jim Rooney be great at that. Or hit the shop button and you can look at all our new merchandise and you can actually bring out and hire our host for experiences. So got a question for Jim Rooney, you can ask him right on that link, click it, and he'll be glad to answer it for you. Also want to thank Jaw Bats, the newest certified bat in Major League Baseball. If you go to their link again in our show notes, you go RVG at checkout. It'll get you a percentage off for your new bat. Great Maple Bats. My son Tanner's using his lefty and righty M110 model. Our very own Jeff Fry with She Gone Podcast with our network. Hit a pull side double in fantasy camp. So as he said, it's got to work. Also want to thank Kinetic Arm, a brand new device out there to help with these rash of pitching injuries that we're talking about week in and week out. Great, great product. Overload stress externally prevents that lag that we talk about and hate, and it's a multi-joint dynamic stabilizer. Use RVG DAG at checkout, get you a discount on one of those. Also want to thank, we got a new hair product with us. I'm going to pass that on to, to TC and Rooney here. It's, uh, they says Cures Hat Head. So we're going to talk to them next week, possible new sponsorship with them. And one-on-one, our college pathway has put in, put in the last four years, $540 million in scholarships towards kids to get scholarships in football and basketball. So with that, Jim Rooney, welcome back to your show. Uh, I'll let you introduce our two great guests again. And by the way, everybody knew, uh, well, the first guest you're going to introduce, TC, everybody loved him on his first episode. I don't want to spoil the punchline, but uh, our next guest, I put it out there with Hall of Famer Jim Codd, who does a show with us. Mark Wiley does a show with us. A lot of jealous podcasters on our network that you got this one today. So I'll let you introduce it. Well, thanks, Dave. And uh, welcome, everybody, to this week's show. Uh, we've got something pretty special lined up. Uh, back by popular demand, um, Tommy Craig, longtime head athletic trainer, Major League athletic trainer, uh, with most of that time with the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, one of the things to remember last time we had TC on was that uh, – he brought the fact up that many, many years the Blue Jays led Major League Baseball in the least amount of DL days in a season. So that's quite an accomplishment. And our special guest today is a special assistant with the Toronto Blue Jays, former 1996 Cy Young Award winner, Pat Henkin. Welcome, Pat. Hey, thank you. Thanks for having me, man. So, TC, you got anything to add about uh, Pat after uh, all your long years together? Oh, yeah. Good morning to everybody. Uh, yeah, Pat's one of my favorite players, and uh, he came to the Blue Jays at age 19 out of Detroit, Michigan, and Fraser High School. And um, first and foremost, he was a student of the game, and uh, he's one of the trainer's favorites, although he was a low-maintenance guy who did a lot of things that we asked of him, he did it on his own. And uh, we had a lot of good years together. I wanna add, uh, other than some great statistics that Pat threw up and some great years, anytime you win a Cy Young Award, uh, it was the first one the Blue Jays had ever had. But uh, Pat has a unique uh, honor of being the only major league player to play on three bird teams. He was a Blue Jay, a cardinal and an oriole and that's quite an accomplishment it's uh unique but uh i thought pat would be just great in an apropos for this show and i'm a poet and didn't even friggin know it but um i can tell you right now he's got a lot of things to offer as a young player and now he's a special assistant 
and travels around the organization with the Blue Jays. Welcome, Pat. Oh, thanks. Yeah, that's quite an intro. I a uh, couple of things that stuck out. I, I I signed. I was I was young. I was out of high school. I was actually seventeen. My dad signed my first contract. If you can believe it. Um, I, I played five and a half years in the minor leagues, and and you know the shoulder routine that I learned at a young age, at I think nineteen when I was in a ball pitching for the uh, Dunedin Blue Jays in the Florida State League, and I saw Jimmy Key come down in rehab and saw him hanging his arm off the, the table doing these cuff weights, and I hadn't started my, that yet in my my program yet, so. From that day forward, men, I'll tell you, the best advice I can give a young pitcher is to take care of your shoulder, do your rotator cuff exercises with extreme precision, and do not miss. Uh, I did it every other day my entire career, even during the offseason. And then I incorporated some tubing during the season, which I felt like get, kept me uh, helped me rebound even quicker and kept me stronger. So, yeah, there was so many different things that you tweak as, you, as your career goes on. But that is definitely one of the things that sticks out for me is that that darn shoulder uh, maintenance program. It is super important. And, uh, going off of what Pat said, Jimmy Key, um, being a, out of Clemson and Huntsville, Alabama, came to us at a young age too. Young left-hander. He didn't throw hard. He changed speeds. He took away when you thought you were going to add on and vice versa. And he had one of the best pickoff moves in the game. Well, we sent him down, and Pat was watching him do these exercises. And Pat, tell him the story about what some of the guys said and were getting on him about. Yeah, there were some guys in the training room, I remember, and they were saying, like, you know, why fix it if it ain't broke? You know, I could hear whispers like guys saying that when Jimmy wasn't standing there. And uh, then Jimmy overheard one of them say it, like, you know, hey, why should I fix it if it isn't broke? And he turned and looked at him and said, that's like saying, why oil your car? Just wait for the engine to blow. And I just remember that sticking in my head as a young kid. Uh, the other thing that stuck out was the pitcher coach at that time made me chart the game in the stands. And I remember he was he had a 50-pitch limit, and he made it through five innings with 50 pitches. And I think, I think he struck out four. And I, I think he threw 44 strikes or something like that, if I remember correctly. And I just remember at that time in my career, I was trying to get through five innings with 100 pitches. And um, so it was a real eye-opener for me just being able to see a big leaguer work see the efficiency, the, um, the attack mode that he had, the fearlessness that he had. Um, I threw harder and had better stuff at the time. And yet I was fear. I was scared. I was afraid. I was, you know, uh, don't walk this guy, all those terrible mental things that go through your head. So that was a cool impact for me when I saw Jimmy in the training room doing those exercises and he dropped the old, uh, oil and engine story. It, it uh, had an impact on me. That's, uh, yeah, you see, but that's a great analogy. I, I had a coach way back said to me that uh, your rotator cuff work is like putting deposits in your checking account. Exactly. You don't want that day to come that you're overdrawn. Yep. Yeah. And it was they cool. I saw, I, I, I saw a cool clip by Maddox, too, uh, the other day, and he was Brandon Raven about his old high school coach and how he learned how to do the shoulder exercises at the age 16. And he did the same thing. He did them all through the offseason and, and never stopped doing them his whole career. And, well, you know, enough said about his career, but holy cow, he had like three major league careers. He was so good. Yep. And then they all, going off of that, they both were in high school in California together. And the other player that was a first-rounder right out of high school and never really pitched a day in the minors, he went to the Oakland A's and then joined us at the Blue Jays, Mike Morgan. Add that <laughs> story. No kidding. He pitched in four decades. Two guys that lasted a very long time. And, and it was cool to hear that common denominator that they both had that great shoulder maintenance from the same same high school coach. Pretty cool. Yep. You can uh, overdo it sometimes. I mean, there's always the uh, theory that rest is just as important as work. And I remember one time uh, I mentioned it about Pat on our last show or one of our previous shows, you know, I said Pat was such a hard worker. It's almost like he didn't sit around and play cards and and waste his time. He you had to watch him because he'd do too much. But he, I had to caution him about sometimes. Hey Pat, you need to rest. Rest is just as important. And uh, one time I put a clicker in my pocket and I gave my strength guy 
another pitch count clicker and I said, every time you see Pat doing some exercise or taking his arm through a throwing motion, from one start, from the time he toes the rubber today to the time he gets on the rubber for his next start, I want to count it. We got over 1,200 clicks because every time I turned around, he's over there at his locker doing some tubing or he's in the training room doing some exercises. But uh, it sure did pay off. And let's put it Bobby, this way. I, Bobby, I, we used to get our physicals in the spring and it would be, you know, you're 12% body fat, you're 16% body fat, you're 8%. I used to come in and say, I'm 10% body muscle. I got one muscle. It's my rotator cuff. That's the only one I have. But yeah, it's important and very important. If any message I could ever help a young kid, that would be the one. Fastball command, obviously, arm strength and long toss and all those great things. But boy, oh boy, shoulder maintenance is number one for me. Yeah. So Pat, at the, Pat, at the time I asked, did you know that TC had to sign people to follow you around with a clicker? <laughs> oh, I know. He told me that story, you guys. I, I actually loved that story. I didn't realize there was that many clicks. I know I did do the tubing a lot. I had my own personal tubing I kept in my locker and traveled with it. Um, they don't even know about all the reps I used to do in my room. <laughs> hey, well, that's what I was about to say. If you kids out there what, are bored and you want to do something, go do some exercise with tubing. Don't go throw and go lift heavy weights. Don't do something when you're supposed to be recovering, remember one thing, the same rotator cuff muscles and the scapular stabilizers are doing the work. So right. you don't change it. It's the same I, one. But if you want if you're bored, just do some exercises and be smart about it. That's all. No, I agree. I agree. What about the lat, Tommy? Like I always felt like I took good care of my lats. My lats would be sore, but there was a, there was some small amount of reps that I used to do in between starts that kind of just flared my lats up and kind of got the blood flowing in there. I'm not so sure if that had something to do with some of the longevity that I had, but I definitely did a, a small lat program in between starts. Um, obviously core as well. And I, I'm another, I'm a big believer too. I think that, um, if you follow through and you have like a, your back is parallel to the ground, your core and your legs and your stomach and your everything slows your arm down. Yeah. You um, have to take the blunt of it, right? Yeah. You want to just a few tips. Pat's dead on, but you want to stand and paw the ground and set your blades back when you're doing your exercises and going off what he said about the lats, the lats are a scap part of the scapula stabilizers the biggest and they're uh, they're they're playing an important part in it but if you're sore there that's good you want to be sore in a big muscle not in a little one and um you don't hear very many people injuring a lat i'm probably only heard of about two in 20 years but um that that's part of scapula stabilizing and part of pulling but um I guess the message is here, you work the rotator cuff and the scapula stabilizers equal. We used to think one was more important than the other, but that's not the case. They're equally as important. Right. And I think you hit it on the head with the scapula when you pinch your blades back. That's talking about your form and how important it is to have good form because so many guys start cheating when they get fatigued. I see it a lot with the weighted balls right now in, in pro ball. You see guys that are they're fatigued and they're throwing the weighted ball and you could tell that their arm slots dropping compared to their normal arm slot when they throw. So that's something that the industry needs to be careful with. I think too, uh, forming bad habits with a weighted ball. Yeah. TC, one of the things uh, interesting that you brought it up, probably the most famous guy to injure his lat was Ben Sheets when he was with the Brewers. Yeah, he threw hard too. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, if he yeah. restrained it or he or he tore it, but that that was a pretty uh, long recovery process for him. I got a question for you, TC. There was an anecdotal story last week on the podcast uh, that we were going over a couple different articles in training in different areas, and uh, the story was how a, how a pitcher went in for an MRI, and the doctor. Uh, said to him besides the area that he, he was testing out that uh, he had an unusually thick UCL. And because his UCL was thicker than normal, he didn't see that he was ever going to suffer a uh, UCL injury or tear that thing because it was so big and strong. Have you heard any of that? And if, if that's the case, um, wouldn't you think that there's a way to test that? 
Uh, no, a ligament is, there's three bands to the UCL, and um, I guess some people have bigger, thicker ligaments than others, probably genetically. Um, but um, ligaments are not like muscles. Muscles scar down and reheal and go back to normal. When you stretch a ligament, they are stretched. That's it. You, it does not go back to normal. And then you get what's called an attenuation. You go on to stretch it. It gets lax and then it finally blows. And, um, you know, they, the best you can do is strengthen everything around it, all the form, flexor, supinators, you know, extensors, and more importantly, you strengthen the shoulder to take the stress off the medial elbow. And that's what, uh, that's what the, the message is and what Pat's kind of saying. He, he ended up eventually having Tommy John, but it was way into his career, uh, many years in, in miles. And uh, he had two years where, Pat, tell him what you threw in the innings. And Dave Steve, a good friend of his, had attenuated ligament and never got it fixed. Go ahead yeah. and elaborate. No, is, didn't Nolan, too? I think Nolan tore his and pitched with it for a while. You know, I tried to pitch with mine. I tore mine in May. I was pitching with the Orioles. And, um, by the way, that trivia, I'm the only – It's the Dave Steve told me that trivia. It was uh, – I'm the only player to play for just those three. There are other guys that played for those three, but they played for a fourth or a fifth team as well. They, the, the, the trivia was I was the only guy to play for just those three only. But anyway, um, yeah, the Tommy John thing was amazing to me. I, I felt a pop and a burn. It was in my, it started in my elbow. There was really no symptoms leading up to it. I had no soreness. Matter of fact, I was off to a good year um, in May and, and I was pitching pretty well for the Orioles that year. And I felt the pop and the burn. I tried to rehab it for about three months during that summer. At the time I was an older guy, I was 32 and I had uh, two-year contract. So obviously the Orioles were, were, weren't very excited about me having Tommy John. So we tried to prolong it and, and it was actually a blessing. And I think part of it was why they prolonged it was the whole pre-rehab tops thing before the surgery. And um, boy, when I went in to finally do the surgery, I could throw flat ground, by the way, pain-free the entire time when I was coming back from Tommy. But as soon as I got on the slope, it started to hurt. And it would just feel like somebody was jabbing me and I knew I couldn't compete. So I ended up having the surgery. And what's crazy about that surgery, and I tell everybody this all the time, is that the rehab's all shoulder. The rehab is almost all shoulder. I mean, within six weeks, your, your arm's all the way, all the way open and you're gripping and moving everything really good already. It's the shoulder that just after the six months of not doing nothing and uh, not throwing much and, and not being able to throw, obviously, that six months of atrophy just kicks in and your shoulder, whoo, it took a long time to come back from Tommy for that. So that's another more of the reasons to take care of that shoulder. It leads to elbow issues. And if you do have an elbow, elbow issue, you got that good rock solid shoulder to come back from. And I think that really helped me coming back from Tommy John. I came back 13 months later. My stuff was never really the same. Um, I was a couple clicks as far as the movement and the spin and stuff. I knew that I, I could feel it. I just tried to locate better. Um, but yeah, some guys come back throwing harder. I, I'm not exactly sure. Maybe Tommy can elaborate why guys come back throwing harder. My whole two cents is I just felt like the guys that come back throwing harder are usually a younger and B they don't have a strong base going in. So when they come back out of the surgery, all of a sudden they're doing this 13 month of intense rehab shoulder program. And now, now all of a sudden they get a spike in velo. I'm not so sure that if they wouldn't have had Tommy and they just did the shoulder program that they would have had the spike in velo anyway. Bingo. Yeah. I don't know. Though. That's Tommy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They've been doing everything they should have been doing for 11 months prior to, and that's called prehab, but, that's yep. also called rehab when you break down, but uh, you hit the nail on the head. Um, you're going to be doing 11 months or 12 months. You don't even pick up a ball and start throwing like off a slope until like 11.6 months. So um, you got a lot of rehab in there, but that's a fallacy. They don't come back throwing harder. They come back throwing 1.3 miles an hour or less. And that's yeah. And we got more people hurt now than we ever had and we got 40 minor league teams gone so what's what, what is this what are the stats on that tommy when it comes to injuries i i heard someone say in the in the show earlier that there was there's more injuries or i've read that is that true is there is there is there scientific evidence behind that showing 
there's a lot more injuries now than there was say 10 years, 15, 20, like, or is it just slightly more? Do you know no, the numbers? A lot more. Dr. Really? Keith Meister is the orthopedic surgeon for the Texas Rangers. We'll be one of my guests down the road, but uh, Keith's got a lot of stats on it. And now the, the life of a pitcher in the big leagues is, you know, like less than two years and boy, he blows. And then they got all kinds of stats showing they got an increase in surgeries. And Keith and Dr. Andrews spend a lot of time talking to parents, telling them, uh, hey, this is what you don't want to do and talking them out of surgery. Go ahead, Jim. Well, one of the things, Pat, uh, I do some work up in uh, with my younger brother up in uh, North Jersey with uh, physical therapist Finney. Um, and he, uh, he was a guest on a show a couple of months ago. And one of the things that, um, he brought up was that he does a lot of the rehabs for Dr. Ahmed of the Yankees and Dr. Ahmed currently is doing 25 to 30 Tommy John surgeries a month on teenagers. So they're right smack in the midst of the, what many people have written articles and say the Tommy John epidemic. Uh, but Vinny Perez, uh, you know, he's there in the trenches day to day rehabbing all these guys. And he's actually turned 60% of his rehab practice into preventive measures for young uh, high school pitchers because he said that somebody has to try to find a solution. Wow. That's scary. I, uh, I, I, I don't know. What, what's your guys' thoughts on the weighted ball? I got introduced to the weighted ball program back years ago. I saw a guy named Dwayne Ward do it, and he just did it for like a pre-warm-up when he was a big league reliever. He didn't do it for maintenance or strengthening. And um, these guys today are using the med balls and all different size weighted balls, and they're throwing it up against a big brick wall, and they're doing it down the slope. And I'm just trying to figure out what exactly – are the advantages to that. And I know driveline and I don't mean any disrespect. I'm, I'm not very smart. I, I, you know, I'm not some scientist and don't have a degree in anything, but I will say this. I know I pitched a long time and I know what my body feels like. And I know how I talked to a lot of my teammates that did the same thing in an era when we all pitched and I seen guys relievers pitching 80 games. I'm good friends with a guy that did that year after year Quantrill. And I know what shoulder maintenance looks like and takes you know, how to take care of it. And for me, I'm just trying to figure out what are some of the big advantages, Tommy, to the weighted ball program and to the um, are we seeing a lot of velo spikes because of it? And is that maybe a reason that you're getting the TJs more often now? Is, is there a correlation between the weighted ball and the Tommy John, I guess is what I'm asking. Yeah, go ahead, Jim, and then I'll follow you. Okay. One of the things that uh, we've seen, Pat, is that um, I have a quick story about Kyle Wright when he was at Vanderbilt. So when Kyle went in as a freshman in Vanderbilt, he kind of threw it about um, a low three quarters. His elbow was in proper position with the shoulder, but his hand was easily a foot outside the elbow. Uh, and then he came back for his sophomore year, and um, hand was in more of that power three quarter position above the elbow, and he just had a phenomenal sophomore year at Vanderbilt to a point that he was going to be. Uh, he was going to be the uh, easily number one pick in the draft going into the season. He was going to be the number one pick. And it started his junior year. Um, they had a switch in pitching coaches. And next thing you know, the, uh, the famous uh, pitching lab opened up with all the technology at Vanderbilt. And the new pitching coach, he adopted a lot of driveline principles. And I waited because Kyle Wright got out struggling. And I waited till about three quarters of the season. I had moved over to scouting by that time with the Brewers. And I went in to see him, and I watched his home bullpen, bullpen routine. Not only was he doing the heavy balls at max effort. I mean, we're talking 20 minutes, just like you said, throwing against the wall of the bullpen. Then a kind of extreme dynamic um, tubing type of routine for another 15 minutes. So there's 35 minutes. So he went and he ran his poles. He got his heart rate elevated and he comes into the bullpen and he basically did 35 minutes of pretty intense work. Well, the problem is by the time he got on the mound, he was fatigued enough to where you started seeing the lower slot come into play his junior year. And it was very inconsistent. So he was all over the place with his control and command. And then that, 
that stuck with him through about double A with the Braves. And then he finally put it together before he, he got hurt in the big leagues. But um, for me, it goes hand in hand with a lot of the things that these young kids are experiencing all the way up through the college, um, college ages is that goes back to your point. Tommy's point is that, no, they're not throwing faster. It's just that they weren't doing anything preventive or working out. So what happens is, you know, you get in your email and with these gurus and everything, Hey, I'll have your kid throw in four to six weeks, throw six to eight miles an hour faster. Well, a lot of those kids are completely untrained. So anything you have them do, you know, you could have them stand on their head and improve their balance and they'd end up throwing faster because they have more body control. So it wouldn't really matter what you do with them. And they turn to these heavy balls. And the problem that I see in it is that I use a term that you have to continually train your prime movers, the large muscles in the kinetic chain to be the prime movers and you train your stabilizers to be the stabilizers of the joints. And people become so focused on this heavy ball and then they have the fatigue factor coming in from working out with that heavy ball. They start training their stabilizers to be the prime movers. And that leads into a story that Tommy told us that I think would be a great follow-up here is um, they spend too much time training their accelerators in that heavy ball program, especially the muscles that are supposed to stabilize the joints and not necessarily be the prime movers and not enough, uh, not enough time. That's exactly right, Jim. On the, on the deaccelerators that you guys have talked about. Yeah, they start creating a muscular imbalance because they train the accelerators and try to create velo and uh, refuse to work on the decelerators or the posterior area, which is the brakes. And everybody wears out it. the brakes. They don't wear out the accelerator too often, although they're doing it some today. You're hearing it more and more a little bit. But, um, yeah, I have a, an analogy about um, a dragster running a quarter of a mile. Uh, when that guy steps on the gas, that's like a pitcher starting his motion. And then uh, he comes up into ball release, and that's when uh, he crosses the finish line at 500 miles an hour. And the first thing he does is he lets off the gas and starts hitting the brakes. Well, the brakes is a rotator cuff helping stop your arm. And then the chute pops out and assists the brakes. And the chute's the scapula stabilizers. And uh, you can see, based on that, that uh, it's pretty clear how much torque you're putting on your arm. is 7,000 degrees per second, and something's got to stop it. And uh, everybody always thinks in terms of, let's get it going. And they forget, your mind won't let it go forward unless it knows it can stop it. So you got to work the brakes more importantly. And I see all these things. I'm not real familiar with driveline and all these, uh, you know, companies and the, what the gurus are teaching out here. But I do know this. When I was doing a lot of the rehab, it's kind of like what I'm telling you is based on experience and trial and error. And I did a lot of the throwing with the players when they came back. When they started to throw them, because I monitored it, I was the guy that did the interval throwing with them. And I'd do the long toss, and I would control it. My arm got stronger from doing long toss. And it, I had guys telling me, Conyo, Tommy Craig, you, you throw as good as the players. And I said, yeah, because I'm doing the rehab. But yet I wasn't overdoing it. So my point is, Maybe you should think about long toss, but again, there's a the fine line between between doing too much and not enough. You got to figure it out based on what you feel as a pitcher, as an athlete. And remember, more's not better. And uh, if a scab's trying to heal and you keep scratching it, guess what? It's going to get friggin' worse. Yep, that is true. That is true. One one thing, Tommy, to add about the uh, and to continue to answer Pat's question about the drive line is 
when when you draw that ana- when you draw that um, analogy or theory, if you want to put it as, as far as that, eventually the body will the body will only go as fast as it can slow the arm down, right? Over a long term. I have this theory that um, somewhere in the driveline mentality or the sellout for max velocity type of environment that we've created is it seems as if they're bypassing that safety valve and they are now starting to accelerate faster than they can slow down. And I think that's even an ad, another added reason for the, for all the breakdowns. Pat, yeah. what do you see as you go through the minor league systems? <clears throat> I'm sorry. Say it again. What, do, what are you seeing as you go through the Toronto blue Jay systems, as you're talking to young pitchers and, mm-hmm. and even, even older veteran pitchers, are you seeing this chase for max velocity? Um, are you seeing a uni kind of a uniform way of, pitching and what's been your perspective? Yeah. You know, I think the industry as a whole has definitely gone that way. I mean, they're looking for punchies. They're looking for low walks. Uh, Pitching staffs are evolving to 12, 13, 14. I mean, they had to put a limit on it when the MLB roster, for gosh sakes, because teams would carry 16 pitchers if they could. Um, So the fact that the longevity of starters going like Garrett Cole is just, it's just slowly phasing out. I mean, you're going to see, 12, you're going to see 14 pitching, 14 man pitching staffs with, you know, 10 guys that can go three innings each, you know, they're one time through the lineup guys. Um, you have a lefty specialist. I mean, you're lucky if you have a starter or two, I love the Jays right now. We have five starters that eat up innings and there's a reason why they had one of the better pitching staffs. So we're kind of an old school pitching staff at the big leagues in the minor leagues. Again, we're like all the, we're like most of the industry. We're trying to chase the strikeouts. We're definitely trying to increase velocity with our young guys. Um, there's a fine line, like everyone's talked about today, about the accelerator versus the brakes. I know from my own experience, the brakes were the key. And I try to explain that to the kids when I'm going around in the minor leagues. I'm actually going down to spring training real soon here, and I'm fired up about it because last year I didn't get down there as much as I wanted and didn't get to see as many guys. And this year I'll be able to see more players and see more pens. But I think in the end it comes down to each guy having their own routine and that routine getting tweaked. And um, I, I feel like we talked on long toss, we've talked on flat ground, we talked about a lot of things today. But I think it, the overall message that I'm getting and trying to pass across to the players is, is the shoulder maintenance. It's just huge. And, and of course, you know, staying with it and being consistent with it. So when I'm traveling around in the minor leagues, I'm looking at guys' routines. I'm trying to help them with their routine. I'm trying to help them on the mental side. A lot of times, it's very, very few times is it mechanical. For me, it's more just, hey, what, what are you thinking about? Like, what's going on in between starts? How are your side days? What, what's, uh, what's, what are you thinking about in between innings? Do you, do you like when the pitcher coach comes over to you? So I like to try to get to know the guy before, he, before I try to help him. And I think that's key too. And I and Mel Queen actually was my favorite coach. And and I think that his line was the players gotta the players need to know you care before they care what you know. And uh I kind of coached the same way that Mel coached me. And I, I think that um that's gonna be the key for me this year is getting back out and getting to know the kids more. So what, I have that you, relationship. Pardon? What do you find out that they're look that they're thinking about in between innings with all this push to spin rate and oh. velocity? Are they thinking about that or are they thinking about approach? No, heck no, no approach. These kids right now, they're young. They don't know what they know. They see the iPad behind the mound. You know, they want to know how hard it is. What, you know, what was the H on it? What's the vertical break? And, you know, it's, it's, we're slowly trying to transition our minor leagues to more of a hands-on real-time coaching uh, atmosphere to help the kids because a, you don't have the iPad during the game. You can't look behind the mound and you know what, you know, when you throw a good one, like, I didn't need to know if my curveball had good spin that day. I could tell as soon as I started throwing it. I mean, any good pitcher, any, any not even good pitcher, any pitcher, period, uh, knows when they got their good stuff. It doesn't mean you're going to pitch well and execute well and have good results, but it just you just know that you have better stuff that day. Um, yeah, it's uh, the minor league guys, are they're, a lot of it's confidence, too. And, you know, they're chasing strikeouts. Like I said earlier, it stinks. You know, they get 0-2, then they're 3-2 because they don't want the guy to put it in play. And then they have 25-pitch innings. And you're like, how can we call you up? How can you move up to double A or how can you go to triple A? You're having 25 pitch innings right now. Yeah, but you want me to punch people out. It's the same thing with the OPS and and the offensive side in MLB. You pay guys for OPS, that's what they're going to do. You want homers and doubles, that's what they're going to do. Or you want batting average and on-base percentage. You know, like in the 70s, it was kind of a cool era, right? We all agree. Guys put the ball in play. The ball moved around a lot, you know. 
it's uh, it's just where the industry's headed. And if you're going to, the industry's going to pay guys for OPS and that's what the hitters are going to do. And if the industry's going to pay guys to punch people out, well, then that's where the industry's going. Unfortunately, that's just my opinion on it. Yeah, Pat. Well, just, when you uh, were Pat, pitching. If you, if you have a hand in um, turning the minor league around for the Blue Jays and for them to start to adapt some of the things you've talked about today and your mentality, uh, my time with the Blue Jays was uh, in the early 2000s. That's when I first met Tommy. But uh, if, you, if you're if you able to accomplish that, you're going to return the Toronto Blue Jays back to their glory days in the early 90s. Well, I'll tell you what. It's funny. You were there in the early 2000s. Those are the only two years I wasn't there. The only three years I wasn't there. I got brought back in 04 as a player, and then I was 06 as a coach. And been with them ever since prior to COVID, right? Got let go during COVID. But, yeah, you know, look, our, our Jays pitching department is doing a great job. We're trying our best. Everybody's trying our best. We, we are into the analytics just like all teams. Um, some teams got in late. Some teams are just getting in as much now. But it's a big part of, of pitching. It's a big part of baseball. But it just needs to be blended better as an industry. And I think that that's what every team's trying to achieve. Yeah, Pat, when you were pitching in those years that you threw many, many innings and uh, would have been – over 260 innings. Uh, tell them about maybe a little bit about your routine and mm-hmm. uh, and how you felt when you were done after that. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know what? I actually pitched um, 265 innings back-to-back seasons, and I, I didn't feel any more sore after those starts. I still only threw 120 pitches. So it wasn't like – matter of fact, nine innings at 120 is better than – six innings at 120 and uh there was a lot of starts that were six and 110 or 115 or 120 and so when you start throwing those those sometimes you just have quick easy innings so the innings can be deceiving as far as the taxation on your arm um but yeah I, I my routine was pretty much the same i tweaked it a little bit when i played with morris when i played with jack morris i picked up some things that he did uh example was i used to stay in the dugout or the clubhouse the day i pitched uh jack explained to me you come out four out of five days, you play catch, you're loose. Your most important day, you do what? You sit in the clubhouse by yourself. He's like, why don't you come out and play catch and get rid of some of that nervous energy? Great advice. I did that the rest of my career. Uh, the second I picked up from Clemens was, uh, you know, being ready to pitch in the first inning, uh, quality over quantity. And um, his routine was uh, as consistent as anybody I ever played with was Clemens. When I pitched with him for two years, he won the Cy Young both years there. And it was, it was probably the most powerful commitment to his dedication and his mindset on his game day. And I, I think I picked up the focus that, it, that he had. Um, and I tried to enhance mine as well during that span when I played with him. But my routine was pretty much the same, guys. I mean, I, I pitched on Monday. Tuesday, I would run probably 20, 30 minutes. You know, I tried to run like 20 poles or do the stadiums. I'd get a good run in. Then I'd always go to the cuffs. I'd do all the cuffs and all the tubing. We're, I wasn't a huge weightlifter. I didn't go crazy in the weight room. Once or twice, I'd get in the weight room between starts, but it all depended on how I felt. It was more of a loosening up type of thing. You know, 10 reps at like seven different stations. Um, after I did my – after I long toss or long toss play catch on flat ground, I got out to about 100 feet. And then uh, I would come in and, and I would get good lather going from the run and do all my cuffs, and then that was it basically. I'd do some core work, and then that was it. The next day, I would throw a side. And another thing I learned is you warm up the pitch, you don't pitch to warm up. And that was another line I stole from Clemens. And I've been using that my whole career since, ever since I've told every kid that one. That's a great line because so many guys go to their bullpen session. They're cold off the bus or cold off the plane or whatever it is. They get out of their Uber and they just go straight out to the side field. It's nothing like a game. It takes them freaking 15 minutes to get loose. And by that time, they've reached their pitch count and they got useless side, a wasted side. And so these are the type of messages I try to bring when I go to the minor leagues about how important your one side day is. You know, it's not like we're free throw shooters. We can practice all day. You know, these pitchers get 10 minutes on the mound, make the best of it. So those are the type of messages I try to pass on. After my side day, again, the next day, a run. I ran three days and the running tapered as I went to my next game. But I ran, I ran in between all my starts every day. I kept my legs moving all the time. We all did. And then um, – 
uh, side day was the second day, and then I had two days off and pitched. And the day before I pitched, I usually just played light catch, maybe 60, 70 feet, just kind of gave my arm a blow. I didn't do any cuff weights the day before I pitched. I let my shoulder rest. Uh, sometimes I'd let it rest two days before I pitched. Um, but for the most part, um, yeah, that was it. That was the routine. And you know what? You got up and you went at it the next day. And as far as pitching all those innings, I don't really feel like it had anything a negative effect on my career as far as longevity. I just think that it's something I'm proud of, to be honest with you. It's a lot of innings. I'm something I'm proud of that I did it back to back too. Like Clemens told me, anyone could do it once. That's what he told me in spring training. I'll tell you that story. <laughs> yeah, he comes to spring training and we're doing a cover on the on the mound in baseball weekly. And uh it's me, Guzman, and Clemens on the front page. Remember that we didn't even have internet back then. And uh he goes, he puts his arm around me, he goes, nice year last year, boys. He goes he goes, these are the two reasons I came to Toronto. And he gave us a big hug and we took the pick, you know? And then as we were walking up, he goes, nice year last year. And he goes, anyone can win one. I'm going to see you go out and do it again. I mean, that was the type of teammate he was. He was a, he got the best out of you. He, he uh, I really liked playing with Clemens. I enjoyed my time with him. And uh, I saw him in spring training a couple of years ago and I couldn't wait to go talk to him and say hi. So, you know, you learn it from all your teammates and it's, he's one of the teammates I learned from for sure. So yeah. it's, it's great to be able to go ahead and pass those uh, little stories on to the minor league players. And you know what? They're dying to hear it, too. You know, they're they're dying to hear the information. They they like hearing the old stories, you know, the players I'm talking about. Yeah, you just think back, Pat, when you were 19 years old and you were watching, uh, you know, a Saturday afternoon telecast and, uh, you know, whoever was on, Tim McCarver or yeah. Garage And what do you want to know? how that guy got from Frazier, Michigan to the St. Louis, Missouri as a big leaguer. And they seem to never talk about the little things in those little stories you just told right there mm-hmm. on how that 19-year-old kid got oh. from wherever he came from and made it to the major leagues. And now he's out oh. there at shortstop turning flips. Buddy, if you'd have seen me when I was in my Florida State League season at 19, I started out 0-7 with a 3.3 ERA. I finished 3-12. and I cried myself to sleep probably for about six weeks when I was playing there. Thought I was getting released. Um, didn't realize at the time, you know, I was young playing in that league. You know, I was just naive. We were green. I didn't know. You know, we didn't pay attention to prospects and stuff. It was just, what well, time's a bus, and I'm trying the hardest I can today. You know? So... I, I remember just thinking about and Dunedin, how I walked 90 guys in a ball and, you know, became a big league pitcher and won a Cy Young. So, yeah, it is a cool story. I played five and a half years in the minor leagues and it was a grind. I mean, there's no question about it. Matter of fact, if I wasn't out of options, I think Gillick probably sends me down another year. It was a hell of a team I broke in on. You know, the 91 J team was pretty stacked. Um but uh, yeah, no, it's a, it's it, it was a great ride, and, and it, I've learned I learned so much, and I love being working for the Jays. I love being able to pass it back to the young players. Pat, you know what's great about the the thing you said about the young guys, you know, the young minor leaguers, young teenagers, you know, they're dying to hear the stories. They're dying to hear, you know, a little instruction, a little direction. I can remember my first year as pitching coordinator with the Brewers. I'm in, uh, you know, big league spring training, and Ben Sheets comes over to me. Well, Ben Sheets had been the ace of the staff ever since he signed with, you know, the Brewers out of the uh, USA Olympics. And he says to me, uh, you you were in the Oriole organization? I said, yes, I, I was an Oriole. He goes, so, like, do you know Jim Palmer and, and those guys? <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, I do. Every day he wanted me to tell him a, a a new story about my time with the Orioles, Flanagan, McGregor, Palmer, all these guys, Ray Miller. Um, because when he got called, he, he made a couple of starts in double A and then was in the big leagues. He was always the savior. He was always the guy. They never had anybody around them that he could learn some of these things from, uh, you know, mentors or different people that have just, you know, helped yeah. them along the way. I mean, Oh, We've imagine if he did. Imagine yeah. if he did. Imagine yeah. if he had. Look at. Look at. Look, look at. Imagine if he had what. What I had. Dave Steve, Dave Stewart, Juan Guzman, David Wells, Al Leiter, Tom Hankey, Dwayne Ward, Mike Timlin, uh, Jimmy Key, David Cohn. Um, Jack. That's Mullen. a pretty darn good core of nucleus star pitchers that you can pick from. 
that was my first two years alone. I mean, we won the World Series. Me, Wells, and Al Leiter were in the bullpen. We were relievers for the 92 team. We weren't starters. And you guys know, obviously, what Leiter and Wells went on to do. Yep. Holy. Well, you were a three-time All-Star, Pat. <laughs> so, yeah. No, no, no. I know. Yeah, no, I know. It's, it was cool. I, I definitely had some good runs there for sure. I had a good five-year window is what I always tell people. You know, I played 13, but I had a good five-year window where I was a pretty good pitcher for five years. The rest of the time, I was kind of an innings eater. You know, I was durable, innings eater. Lucky my era, there was a demand for that. You know, as today's era, there's not as much of a demand, I think, for that. But Now, they're looking in the dugout today after four or five innings, or if they got a W <laughs> going, they want to know where the reliever is. And you would just keep on going and keep going out there trying to get a complete game. <laughs> and that's unheard of today. But you yeah. played the Blue Jays for about seven innings, and then we ran Ordo and Hinky out there on you, and it was over. Yeah, yeah, it was over. And then Timlin was coming up in the minor leagues with me, and, you know, he was nasty too. And great pitching staffs back then in those 90 teams, boy, I'll tell you. Yeah. Guys, we kept Pat for almost 45 minutes here. we have any final questions for him? Pat, well, is- if you were going to tell a 19-year-old player today, I know we've kind of touched on the importance of the rotator cuff and scapula mm-hmm. stabilizers, but if you had one piece of advice for a young player today that may be 12 years old listening to this podcast right now and his father, what would you be telling that young boy as far as, uh, you know, velo versus mm-hmm. location, Mm-hmm. Uh, right. I would say, first and foremost, have fun. Come on. Like, literally, uh, you know, I, I've, the amateur game where I live is frustrating because you got a lot of coaches trying to win the Bird King championship instead of trying to develop players and, and get to the varsity and be a good varsity program. So I, I think that the biggest thing I would tell kids and parents is have fun. Play, play multiple sports. You know, I've been in the draft room many times for the Jays. One of the first questions we ask is, does he play another sport? I mean, it's it's something that the industry encourages. We love to see multi-athlete type guys. Um, as far as POs, pitchers only, I, I would try to, if I had a son, I would not let him be a pitcher only until the last possible minute because playing a position is fun. Let's face it, you get to hit and run the bases. So don't take that away from a young man. And uh, play multiple sports. I think that would be the biggest thing. As far as the pitching aspect, if you want to get into more detail, as far as like high school level, I would say fastball and fastball command is the most important thing. If you can't throw that fastball where you want to kind of consistently, it makes pitching very, very difficult. And, um, you know, when the whole stadium knows you're going to throw a strike, you got to be able to say, what's the dominant side of my plate? And and can I do that when the whole stadium knows I'm throwing a fastball and it's, you know, it's uh, Miguel Cabrera in the batter's box. doesn't matter who. Uh, you got to be able to have the confidence to be able to knock it down and hit that spot. And those that only happens with practice. So I would say, you know, consistency, practice, um, effort, be the, be the best, you know, have the best, be the best competitor on the field instead of worried about results. How about be the best competitor? How about be a great teammate and be a great competitor? And your results will probably be pretty damn good, let me tell you. And even if they aren't that great, your teammates and everybody around you are going to love you and they're not going to get on you as much because they know you try. So I would say effort is one key thing, you know, in being a great competitor. I love that. That's a great way to wrap guys. No. Yes. Perfect. Perfect messaging, Pat. Yeah. It's not Uh, easy. It's not easy. And you know, you got, uh, you got kids out there wondering they're, they're kind of caught in the middle indecisive or whatever. And I, I, I had a joke about a guy that was sitting on, California Beach, Newport Beach, California, contemplating his future, looking out over the water. And the good Lord tapped him on the shoulder and said, John, you've been a good disciple of mine. You've been there. You, you've adhered to the good book. And is there anything I can do for you? And he said, well, I've always wanted to go to Hawaii. But I get seasick when I get on water, especially for eight hours and 20 hours on the water. He said, I can't get on an airplane. I get nauseated just thinking about it. He said, can you uh, build me a highway 
over there so I can drive and go see Hawaii before I pass away. And uh, the good Lord said, John, I wish I could help you, buddy, but that's a lot of, a lot of asphalt, a lot of rest stations, a lot of dinero, and it'd take me forever to get that highway built. He says, is there anything else I can do for you? And he said, well, I just started dating this girl, and I, I really want to marry you, but I, I, I just can't figure it out yet, and I'm just not there yet. The good Lord said, you want two lanes or four? <laughs> you promised me a joke, TC. I appreciate it. That was a good one. Well, you Dave, listen, in, uh, in closing one, I, you know, Pat, I thank you so much for uh, coming on the podcast today. Yeah, I no wish, problem. That was fun. I wish you all the luck this season, uh, you know, with the Blue Jays. Yes, sir. Even though my dad back home in New York, you know, with his Yankees <laughs> might get a little upset, but I'm still going <laughs> to wish you luck. Um, Dave, one of the great things about doing this podcast is that we, uh, from time to time, we have special guests on like TC and, and Pat today. And uh, even though in many of those times we, we come up with stories or we have thoughts on how things should uh, should go, and we all use our different terms and our different words, it's so refreshing when all of a sudden you hear a whole bunch of extremely well-respected people in this uh, baseball industry sharing the same almost thoughts, but from their experiences and their background, that might be a little different than yours. And it just, uh, it just goes to show the audience that nobody's out here trying to reinvent the wheel. We're just trying to give some guidance, instruction, and some structure to your thoughts so that you can, uh, as Pat said, have fun and uh, accomplish what you're going to accomplish. So I thank you guys. Yeah, well said. And guys, hang on with me until after the, the music stops so we can sync your voices. But Pat, as, as to echo what Jim said, thanks so much for joining us today. You're a great ambassador for baseball, had a great career. And I'm glad you're out there trying to help the, the kids in the Blue Jays organization. They're going to benefit from it. Any of those, If any of those kids are in the audience of our 68,000 subscribers, when you get this guy in town, make sure you're paying attention to him. TC, always a pleasure. Can't wait for you to start your own show here in the network. I'm chomping at the bit to get rolling with you. Don't use all those jokes up on, on other people's shows, though. Will you save some for me on there? And to our audience, make sure you click on to support our advertisers. Millions, Jaw Bats, Kinetic Arm, Monet, and one-on-one -on -one with scholarships. So make sure you support them. They're going to support you guys here as well. And with that, it's Toe the Rubber, episode 463 in the books. This is the first episode of six episodes today. So it's Wild Turkey Thursday. That's six strikes in a row, TC. Not not baseball, but bowling. Wild turkey. And it's not the bourbon either, audience. So six episodes in a row. We had Pat Hankin to lead us off. We'll be followed up today by Rich Donnelly and then the Hall of Famer Jim Cott. Thanks again, guys. Hang on with me for a minute.